Thanks for the memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 12, Every Time We Say Goodbye, from 1986. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And Mike, this is another guestless Hanks episode. And surprise, surprise, there's a reason that no one wanted to sign up for this one, because I don't think anybody's actually here. Before we get into what we actually think of the movie, this is, to date, the lowest grossing theatrically released film starring Tom Hanks. Wow, incredible. And this is also the, I believe this is the one movie title I've never heard of before. <laughs> I've never heard of this Hanks movie. There's Hanks movies I've never seen, but I'm pretty sure I've heard of all of them. Yeah, this, there's a few that I've never heard of, like The Man with One Red Shoe, and this one, like a few of the ones we've done already, I just never heard of. But this, for sure, I don't know. This is also, at least at the time, the most expensive Israeli film ever made. Cost $3.7 million, and like I said, only grossed 278000 So, huge bomb. And that's because it's not his worst movie. That's still nothing in common. But... <laughs> This movie's boring as hell. Oh, yeah. Like, here's the thing. Like, I actually think he's quite good in this. I was like, wow, okay, Dramatic Hanks is working. He's not trying to offset it with humor at all. He's playing it totally straight, and it's working. It's just the wrong material. It's like the wrong everything else is like... I don't understand. It reminds me of those early cage indie war dramas, right? Like, it just, I wasn't sure what was happening. I don't know why he took this detour. It was very confusing. The first thing that comes up is a definition of Sephardim Jews and, like, what that is and how the history goes back to the 1400s. And then the first thing we see in the actual movie is Jerusalem 1942. And I was like, ah, fuck. Like, (laughs) it's just going to be depressing. Like, I knew that it's going to be depressing. And it's not as depressing as that sort of sounds. Mm -hmm. But it's not uplifting. Like, it's a love story. It's kind of Romeo and Juliet between Jew and Gentile. And it's not exciting. And it reminded me, like, early on, it reminded me of Captain Corelli's Mandolin. And then, like, as it was going on, I was like, oh, wait, no, this is more like Time to Kill, which is the really bad early war. Not really bad, but, like, really low production quality. Obscure. No one's heard of that. Yeah, as well. Right. It's somewhere right between the middle of those two. Like, it's just, it's for, it's one of those war movies with no war. Like, it reminds me of half of Wind Talkers also, you know, when, like, he's recuperating and then he goes back out for another rotation. Uh, It's quite like that. Like, Hanks is an injured man for most of this movie and yeah you know it's it's not as romantic as I felt it should be you know I felt like it should have gotten I don't want to say uh, what was that first Tom Cruise movie that we watched there um, Endless Love I don't want to say it needed to get to the level of Endless Love or anything like that but I mean you know it's a romance drama that takes place during wartime and it's just it's dull and it's boring and it pains me to say it well the thing that really threw me for a loop and it's a minor thing is that at the end when they finally sleep together and they like in a sense you know quadruple space to use a sack attack word and they wake up oh do we have a term for that because i think i found one while watching this well well so there's two different things at play here there's the equivalent for compromising there's also quadruple spacing where we don't actually see them having sex right what's your sex term from this so in this one they fade to black oh okay they're about to have sex and we don't see it and then they sort of come back and it's daytime I believe so I was thinking maybe fading to black <laughs> maybe the thing that threw me for a loop was that when they wake up in the morning she's like topless like she's laying in bed and you see her boobs I was like what what kind of I was like this is not this does not feel in line with the movie that had been to this point like it feels like it's this sort of indie I guess it is in a way like this indie art house slow drama you know this Israeli movie and then you have her nude when she doesn't have to be like it seems like it's titillating for no reason like not like that's ever gonna keep somebody there mercifully this movie is short this movie's only 
like 95 minutes, which is, thank God. But it's not like that's going to keep people through the first 75 minutes to see, like, 40 seconds of, like, a woman laying topless in bed. Yeah, especially since the character is only, like, 19 years old and is... 18. 18, sorry, even worse, and betrothed to her cousin in this movie, you know? There's, like, all that that triangle thing, but I, I think what it's trying to go for, most of all, is just be, like, a historical drama. Like, it's a period piece about these this specific Jewish heritage, right? Like, the Spanish Jewish people, right? right? Like, there was, a, you know, because Hanks is, like, what, what language are you speaking? And she goes into the whole history about it. Yeah, for a movie set in Israel about Jewish people, there's like very, I, mean, I think there is something on Wikipedia, there's some language in here that is not very often spoken on film, it's rare, but like, aside from English, the most common language otherwise is Spanish. Like, there's so much Spanish. And I was like, why is this the movie? I mean, I'm sure that's true to the people, but it feels to someone who doesn't know it, wildly out of place. It feels like a blank check movie, but it also feels like a first movie and a last movie. Like, it's weird. It's like someone has, like, the, the money and the production and the power to, like, seemingly tell a very personal story. Like, this feels almost like, I don't go into any trivia about it, but it feels sort of semi-biographical to a degree. Or, like, someone trying to, you know, tell us about his family's culture and the history and all that kind of stuff during the war and, and everything. But it's falling flat. Like, it's not even pulling off the sort of cliché stuff well you know like like they're me cute or any of that thing like it all just kind of misfires for me the weirdest thing about the way that that we meet sarah the main character the, the main woman the, the juliet if you will is that she's at work and this other woman this more beautiful woman like i think objectively more beautiful like she's supposed to be like this like sort of ex not exotic but she's like you know sarah's kind of like mousy and sort of mm -hmm. you know what i mean like she's sort of shy and meek and mild-mannered and then this other woman victoria comes in and she's like got this like flowing hair and she's like this animated creature and like you're, you're like oh this is going to be the woman that we're following and it's not like the one that we're following is the the woman the sort of the meek mild-mannered sarah who's just in this office and i was like what it felt like to use what you just said, someone who doesn't know how to introduce characters, but the director of this, who also wrote this, Moshe Mizrahi, has directed 17 things. This is like smack in the middle of them. Oh, I wow. mean, he did three or four more after this. I guess it's toward the tail end, but he's been directing. He had been directing. Looks like he passed away about a decade ago. Oh, no, he passed away last year. Throw me a few titles. What are some of his other works? Oh, boy. Madame Rosa? Okay, I don't know. I sent a letter to my love, daughter's daughter's. Oriak, Beona, Mata. I guess they're just Hebrew movies. Okay, it seems like he's like a prophetic foreign film director, or like you know what I'm saying. Like this isn't an American movie. This isn't like the you know what I'm saying. Like these aren't the people who even were there last week for nothing in common. You know, and this certainly isn't the Money Pit audience. Here's a little bit of how unpopular, just in terms of how often his movies are seen. This guy is. Every time we say goodbye, which has been seen by 251 people on Letterboxd, which is nothing for the record, mm -hmm. is his second most popular movie. For comparison's sake, I always say this on the Joe 2 podcasts, Mad Max Fury Road has been seen by 362,000 people. So this has been seen by 251 of which you and I are two. So we are roughly 1% of Letterboxd who have seen this movie. Wow. Like, I think, you know, there's a certain, certain people will like this. Like, I, I, I it's not my cup of tea. Like, that's the thing. I don't like, think it's bad. I don't, yeah. like, there's nothing I can point to and be like, oh, that doesn't really work or that's poorly done. It's just, it's not at all my movie. Yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like some of, 
some of it feels a little lost in translation for me. Like I'm not quite, I feel a little in the deep end with some of like the family moments and some of the stronger sort of when they're trying to explain, I guess, a little deeper about their heritage and stuff. You know, I feel like I'm a little out of the loop, but I guess that's also how Hanks feels, right? Like that's his character. Right. And I also think to an extent, that's why certain people would want to watch this, right? Like it's a, it's a foreign love story that they don't know anything about. And I feel like there's a lot of kind of the indie house, indie film crowd that just wants to see a movie that at once feels comfortable and familiar, but also feels exotic and new. And I think that's exactly this. Like This is quite literally Romeo and Juliet, but just set with a people that we don't really know from film. But you know what the trouble is, is like Romeo and Juliet, heck, even Casablanca, like there's a threat. There's like, you know, there's the Nazis, there's the Capulets if you're a Montague. Like there's there's people out to get you in those movies. And here there's like no danger, right? Like I just wish that maybe the war came back or like Hanks had to leave earlier and, you know, there was more peril or something because that would really boost the romantic sort of nostalgia edge to it and I think help the rest of the material fall into place a little better. But like it's just rough where there's like a war movie without any war in it. I don't know. There's something my expectations are just always on edge and never satisfied. Yeah, and I think the conflict throughout is, aside from the fact that her family does not want her to marry him because he is not Jewish, he just keeps almost leaving, then not leaving, and that's supposed to be like the, oh, will they or won't they? But it feels like we're, you know, we're still half an hour from the end. Like, it's not like he's not going to ever see her again, because like, that's the movie. We only know, like, six people. Like, we know the four, like, we know Hanks, his friend, both of their significant others, we know Nisem, you know, Sarah's cousin, and we know kind of her parents. And like, that's it. But there's seven people we know. It's not like they're going to be, he's not going to meet someone, some new woman in the third act who's going to make him forget all about her. Like, this is going to be to the end. And maybe he walks away. Maybe they don't end up together, which is a thing that could have happened. Doesn't. But, you know, I, I just don't know, man. Yeah, like, I thought it was kind of funny how they just kept b- bumping into each other in, like, the first act, you know? And she's like, don't worry, I'm not going to see him again. And, and Hanks doesn't really have any sort of... like he's not really pursuing her either necessarily like he thinks she's attractive but he's not like pursuing her and then they do just kind of like keep bumping into each other and he finally like goes to her house I guess for for Sabbath which was that was that scene played really well and I was like oh they're really okay they're setting the bar like this is an interesting scene and then it really never for me uh hit those heights again because it tried to dive more into like the forbidden love kind of angle of it and everything and then you know the closest we get to danger is when her cousins her other cousins and her brother like beat up Hanks and they like you know like steal her away back to her house at one point but it's just it ends up not really having any repercussions you know so it didn't provide enough entertainment for me at that at that point was that sabbath dinner your favorite scene or do you have another favorite part of this movie that's a great scene but my favorite part of the that might be the best scene of the movie but my favorite part of the movie is grandma definitely because she's like you know keeps popping up throughout you can kind of spy her like uh, in the background of scenes when the family's arguing and i'm just my attention's always kind of drawn to her i'm looking for her uh i thought she was uh a good presence my favorite moment is a very, very brief moment. It's when uh, Hanks canes that drunk tank guy who's, mm. you know, hitting on Sarah. He just, like, whacks him over the head with a cane. She's like, you killed him. He's like, nah, I didn't. And that's it. But it just felt like he was doing something, you know? Like, early on, when the movie starts, like, the first line he says is like, oh, it's those goddamn church bells. And I was like, is he going to be grumpy or anti-religious? Like, it felt like something, or like, or joking, and he's none of those things. Like, that all drops away. Then he has, like, a little tap dance with his cane to test out his... his repaired his healed leg and then like he just doesn't 
do anything for the next like 85 minutes. Yeah, you know, this might be my least favorite part since we're moving along, is that uh, I feel like there was this one thing that they were doing that was really wasted, and it was really interesting because I'd never, I, I don't recall seeing this in a movie before, I just like reading about it in a book or seeing it in a documentary, the concept that America had not entered World War II yet, so Hank's an American, from Montana no less, shout out to Tobin. <laughs> Missoula, Montana, from the exact town that Tobin's from. Yes, Tobin, if you're listening, tip of the cap. That he enlisted as a British soldier. So he's not even fighting on, in, a, in an American uniform. And not only that, like where they are in Jerusalem at that, um, like at that war hospital, there's people from all over the world, you know, there's like Australians and like actual British people and, you know, like people from all over fighting on with the allies and stuff. So I really felt like that was just introduced and never brought up again at all like whatsoever until like the absolute end where he's finally like in an american uniform and i was like man like that was really interesting stuff like i gotta go dig into some books now to like know what i want to about that instead of this movie he was almost at dunkirk he was almost tom hardy but he was not. I think my least favorite part is probably just the end where they actually get together because it's finally, like, there's finally passion. And I think it works well enough, but I just sort of wish, A, it feels kind of cliche, right? Like, in the last scene, they get together. I'm just like, ugh. But also, B, like, it just feels like the kind of energy that they should have had earlier. Like, it doesn't feel like they're really this, like, lusty, passionate relationship that can't go away. Like, it's just sort of like you were saying, oh, they keep running into each other like they're meant to be. And it doesn't feel like she's the love of his life and he can't he can't imagine a future without her, right? Like, it's just like, oh, you know, my plane crashed down in this city, you know, in North Africa, whatever. I was taken to Jerusalem. I'm being mended. I'm on the mend. I'm going to leave and I'm going to go fight some more in the war. Like, this is not where he lives. This is not where he's from. He doesn't know anybody else here. Like, there's nothing keeping him to this area. So I don't know why... Like, the movie, I don't think, does a good enough job showing why they have to... Like, they have to be together. Like, I can sort of see why Sarah's upset, because she's, you know, betrothed to her cousin, like we've been talking about, and she doesn't really feel passionate about that, and this is kind of like an exotic, like, you know, she's talking to her dad later, and she's, you know, he's like, a, he's he is a good-looking man, and I can see why she would sort of be into that, but it's like, you know, I, I don't know why Hanks feels compelled that this is the woman for him. It's crazy. While you're saying all of that, something just like, something very Hanks fell into place. It's it's reverse splash. He's the fish out of water. He's like enamored Mm -hmm. with the with the girl the girl falls for him there's really no explanation why they should be together or anything it's just like pure lust or something and or movie magic basically but like it's that same old shit classic reverse splash situation but like he's a boring mermaid like he's not even a cool mermaid <laughs> no no that's true which is weird because like again like i said like i actually think like like let's not, i don't think it's a great movie but i think hanks is okay like he's not the problem like that's not the issue if anything this movie made me realize like he's got dramatic chops like he can actually tone it down um and sort of like find a place you know where where he can be medium or or just like pull off that weighty stuff like he doesn't always need to be joking and i think this movie proves it and i think that's like if anything at least that there's that 
I wonder if that is us knowing what he'll become and seeing, oh yeah, this is sort of, you know, what he'll do in better movies, because on Wikipedia under the reception section, which is talking about the box office flop and everything, it didn't get great reviews, and they were saying that, I think the New York Times review said something about how, like, Hanks feels particularly out of place here because you look at him and you see comedy, and this is not him. And while I agree with you that I think he's doing a pretty good job here... I can sort of see in the in the moment in 1986 when you're watching this movie and you see you know a handful of movies that he had done before that are all comedies where he's just sort of this like wacky guy. You you never want to fault somebody I don't think for trying to branch out, but at the same time I can see that this is like oh I don't I don't get what's going on here and kind of misplace your distaste for the movie or for the dramatic action or whatever on the actor. You know what I mean? Yeah, I maybe I was having like Private Ryan visions in my head and stuff right where he would like really kick ass in that in that war movie and like feels like he belongs in that era in that movie so maybe right. i was just having like you know previsions of that like running through my head too i think compared to nothing in common he's better in this like i wish he was doing this in that movie or something no i totally understand because audiences don't want this from him at the time this is definitely you know like when cage was on a streak for early part of his career with mostly comedies and then he like it's like nope i'm gonna take like a left turn and go do some drama stuff and like almost get into like some hot water and not really work for a while but then come back with like vampires kiss and stuff and like you know kind of own his career after that and i really wonder if that's something that was going on here where hanks was like look i can't just be known for being comedy i should at least try and branch out do something like that but he won't really go back to this kind of stuff for a while right like as far as i know there's kind of a streak of of comedies coming up for the most part and uh it takes him a while to really attempt something this this serious again i'm not i'm not positive but that's that's what i feel here's what's coming up next because i was wondering as you were talking if by alternating hanks and Cruz, if we're making this feel worse like i feel like it would be bad either way but you know like keanu where we were stuck in high school for like eight movies and i was losing my mind yeah i feel the fact that if that was spread over 16 weeks it would feel worse because you're like it's four months of no good Keanu movies but at the same time by splicing in crews that are all pretty much for the most part great awesome we're getting sort of some palate cleanser whatever there oh, right I hear you yeah but I, I don't know because it just feels like there's been so like you know this is the 12th movie that we've done 12th thing that we've done I enjoyed for what it was Buzz and Buddies but other than that, you know, Money Pit is my favorite movie of his. And I don't love the Money Pit. Like, you know, I might watch that once or twice, maybe more ever. But, like, I don't really kind of care. And that's not nothing against Money Pit. It's just, you know, I don't think it quite works. Like, I didn't grow up on it. It doesn't quite work for me. So it's just like, we've been doing Hanks since January. And I don't love anything yet. It's just, that's a lot of, that's a lot of time, right? Yeah, it it is. And it's weird because, like, that palate cleanser thing is interesting. I wonder, is it making the cruise even better you know it like be it's obviously Cruise better it might be making this worse yeah yeah but uh cruise is obviously they're good no matter what like it's great like um risky business was on yesterday so i left it on for you know a half hour or so just great so that's interesting yeah i i, I don't know I, I i'm not even trying to think about it anymore <laughs> like we've made our bed i'm just trying to lie in it without getting too many nightmares about hank's movies and uh focus on you know all the nice dreams that come from cruise club <laughs> so far <laughs> So here's what's coming up next for Hanks. So we got Dragnet, which is him and Dan Aykroyd, Sonny, Sonny, Sonny's husband. Is that a, it's a comedy? I'm assuming, right? Yeah, that's a comedy. Yeah. Then we've got Big, which is a 
dramatic comedy, but funny. Then we got Punchline, which I think you said ends pretty dark, but it's about a stand-up comedian, so I hope it's at least going to be interesting. Then we got The Burbs, which is a classic. Then we got Turner and Hooch, which I've never seen, but I think is another classic, or at least it's him and a dog. I mean, how can that not be at least entertaining? Turner and Hooch is like the odd couple. Like, he's okay, the clean one, cool. and the dog is the messy one. <laughs> cool. Joe vs. Volcano, classic. Amazing. Bonfire of the Vanities, I don't know, but I know is sort of a big movie. But that's a, is that a dramatic one? I, I believe so. I believe, if I recall... That's seven movies from now. Yeah, yeah, and that's how many movies it takes for him to go back to what I recall, what I think was a, a very dramatic drama of some type. But then after that, we go to Radio Flyer, which I don't know anything about, and then we begin the stretch that we essentially did this for, which is A League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Toy Story, That Thing You Do, Saving Private Ryan, You've Got Mail, Toy Story 2, Green Mile. I'm not skipping movies, by the way. I know, it just keeps going. Everything he did, Cast Away, Road to Perdition, Catch Me If You Can, and then A Swing and a Miss with the Lady Killers, the Coen Brothers movie. But that is... 14 movies in a row that we're gonna be like oh yeah this is this is good but we still have I know there's there's gonna be stuff between now and then but like there's another eight to get there where it's gonna be possibly a mixed bag some really good stuff but also some stuff that might not be great and what's crazy about like that you know magical mile or whatever the the golden green mile that we're calling it i don't know but like it's a mix it's all like uh it's it's all over the place Yeah, yeah like you know that is really where it's like look he does everything awesome can't wait. I mean, that's what we're doing it for, man. You know, like, I think it's going to be worth it. I don't know if doing all of Keanu just for The Matrix was quite worth it, <laughs> but I think this will be. Definitely. So could Tom Cruise play this part? I'm going to say absolutely. I also feel like, and maybe it's just because Captain Crowley's Mandolin and also maybe Vanilla Sky, but I feel like it kind of would have to be him and Penelope Cruz. I can see that kind of movie, but I think he could absolutely do this role because it's meant to be dramatic. It's the thing that we've seen Cruise do time and again already feels more in his wheelhouse. Not that Hanks, again, is bad here, but if you had cast Cruz, you could have been like, oh, yes, this makes sense. This works. Yeah, this even feels like something Cruz would do at the time, right? Where he's so big, he'd go off and find, like, an obscure foreign director who's making a very personal, like, his seventh personal film out of 14 or whatever, right? And, like, but but kill it. Like, actually make it a, a, an American box office success as well and sort of elevate this stuff. I could definitely see it. Where do you see yourself in this movie? If you have to Stan Lee yourself in, where would you be? I probably would put myself at the, it's not a wedding, but at that, like, dance thing early on where we first everybody meets each other and there's a drunk guy i'm gonna be just somewhere there i don't know exactly what i'm doing but i feel like that's the one scene in this movie that has a little bit of fun and levity in it and i would just be there somewhere doing something i don't know maybe i'm in the band okay i'm at the boxing match somewhere you know oh yeah drinking a beer eating some peanuts because one of i guess one of her cousins was the boxer and they go there for like literally like I don't know, 90 seconds of screen time. They're at a boxing match. Yeah, well, then she sees him and she leaves with him. And they take off, right? Yeah, and and then they fade to black. So that's where I'd be. I'd be at at the good old boxing match. Is this our first time, and I think it is, our first time that we are firmly back in time for Hanks? We've had a couple sort of globe-spanning Hanks, if you will. You mean period piece, though? Yes, period piece, because, I mean, we had gone back in time and Splash, it wasn't Hanks, it was Young Hanks, but period pieces, you know, we had uh, Volunteers was not in America, and Man With One Red Shoe, I think, was maybe partly not in America, or oh, I think it was, I ma- uh, wasn't Volunteers, like, 1960? 
I think. Oh, was it? Yeah, I think okay. technically, because Walt was like, yeah, he was like, guys, didn't you pick up on it with like the whole opening sequence was like all TV footage of Kennedy and Nixon? I was like, oh yeah, I oh, guess so. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. But I mean, this is the first sort of, this is, I would consider this like a true period piece in comparison because it's also like a war film. Like that was the 60s. It was made, that movie was only made like 25 years after. Like we're actually going 50 years. And Volunteers could be, could have been set in modern day. Yeah, it's the Peace Corps. Yeah, it still exists. They're still building bridges in foreign countries. Does Tom Hanks do anything in this movie that sets him on the road to becoming America's dad? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yes, because he fought for his country and enlisted in his war as part of the greatest generation and went to kill Nazis. And he did that so that he could... Maybe, maybe even if he didn't survive, you know, like if he didn't survive, he did it so other people could start families and be fathers and, and raise children in America. So, okay. <laughs> I don't know why I just got so like <laughs> patriotic about that. I feel like that was a defensive uh, tone, too. So I apologize. If no, it, it's if fine. It I mean, I think you're just still riled up from born on the 4th of July. You know, Cruz went to fight for his country. Yeah. Hanks went to fight for his. And this is, uh, this is where we are. USA, USA, USA. All right, if we move to the Woodies now, we are flying through this episode because I don't know that there's much more to talk about. I probably have a few more notes that I want to get to at the end, but not best film for sure. Worst film, I'm going to say yes, because it's worse than some of the other stuff that we've nominated so far. It's worse because it because it ha- it's one of those movies that has the guts to be better. Like, you know, like it's, you know, this is sort of like, I bring this up more often now, you know, especially during the heckerling cinemakers and stuff. But like, this is sort of like why I love movies is because like, I know nothing about these people, right? Like I had no idea this existed, but then again, they don't go into, and they don't really use any of that as part of their story. So, you know, it's just, it it feels like they're sort of focusing on the wrong stuff or too much of the romance stuff. Whereas like the interesting stuff is like not being talked about all, all of the more, the, the family right. stuff and, you know, yeah. the stuff about the, the soldiers and all that. Yeah. Agreed. 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 Worst role, I'm going to say yes, David Bradley in Every Time We Say Goodbye. <laughs> I mean, no argument there. The surprising thing is that we have two roles nominated there, both named David. David Basner in Nothing in Common and David Bradley Every Time We Say Goodbye. So do not name him David. Stay away from that name. Most wasted performance, no, because I'm going to say, like, he's not doing anything here that really, I mean, I guess we could. Well, I, that's. I think that's where I was coming, trying to come down earlier, where I was saying like it's. I don't feel like he's necessarily bad in it. Like you know what I mean when I was saying like he's just in the wrong movie with this performance. Yeah. I don't know. We don't have to nominate. I'll, I'll, I'll do it for both. We can always sort it out later. Best ensemble, no. Best fight, no. Best dance scene, well, no. Party you scene, wanna, I mean, you don't want to. No, not his little the, shimmy shimmy. The little uh, no. Cane dance. No. I do want you to take that scene, if you can, if you can pull that clip and then just uh, set it to the Wu-Tang shimmy shimmy ya and just do a, <laughs> basically do a gif of that with sound. That That's all I want from this movie. Best Hank's outfit wardrobe. I would say him in the military outfit is good, but I know that we're going to have it more, better, more accurate, bigger movie later, so we can just, I think... Yeah. Hold off on that here. Best death, he does not die. Best line, no. Best freak out, he has one line at the end where he says, don't say that unless you mean it. Thank God you found a line, because I was struggling to pull anything for the end of this episode already. I was like, what the hell am I going to put? Because he says, you cannot marry anybody else. Do you hear me? You can't. And she says, no, I can't. He says, don't say that unless you mean it. And then they kiss. I don't think it's worth nominating, but I think that's the most passion that's you know why i mentioned that earlier i don't like that scene because it feels like there's a level of passion that does not reflect the rest of the movie 
That soundtrack theme, no best love story, no worst love story. Yep. Yep. David and what's her name? Sarah, right? Yeah. And there's even a song that uses, you know, surprised they didn't use that song. Like, every time we say goodbye, I cry a little. Like, that old standard. Like, it's not even in here. I was like, for sure, the way things have been going with our, you know, Tom uh, Tom Club Spotify playlist, like, we would have gotten a song here. But it breaks that chain. Yeah. This woman, Christina Marsalash, who plays Sarah, her most seen movie is a Dario Argento movie. Opera. Oh, okay which has an average 3.6 on Letterboxd, and a most common rating is a 4. Our buddy uh, Chris Podcast hated that movie, but I have other people I follow who really liked it, so I guess check that out. Is she the star of that? She is the star of that. Wow, all right. Oh, okay. But then her second most popular movie is this, so she's basically a one and done, even though she has 16 credits. Okay, most badass role, no. Best or worst non-Hanks male or female? I'm going to say no. Yeah. So worst film, worst role, worst performance, and worst love story. Every time we say goodbye, and we are saying goodbye now to this movie. Shortest episode? <laughs> Probably. I mean, it's right up there with uh, Man with One Red Shoe. What else do you want to say about this? Anything? Any other notes that you have that you took that you want to share? Oh, boy. Look at that. No, not really. I'm looking at my notes now. They are very thin, very dry. No, I'm sad to say I'm ready to wrap it up two more things that I want to bring up. Number one, I like that he had a good old-fashioned American baseball catch for sort of no reason in the middle of this movie. Oh, well, that's very Hanks of him, you know, like softball, baseball, ever since sure. and Buddies. A little bit of and Buddies intro, absolutely. And one other thing that I think is sort of strange is that they bring up a couple times that he's the son of a preacher man. Oh, God, that's right. <laughs> to no great extent, the most that it ever pays off from what I remember is that they go on sort of a date and he's like, oh, wasn't this the valley where blah, blah, blah happened? She's like, how do you know that? He's like, well, we are Bible folk or whatever. She's like, oh, right, you're the son of a preacher. He's like, well, they call them ministers, and that's it. And then even the parents were like, wait, if his dad's a priest, how can he have kids? And they're like, oh, it's a different they're, they're a different denomination and everything. And like, that's the end of that. Like, that never yep. comes back. Yep. The case closed. But that's all I got. That's every time we say goodbye. Again, not his worst movie. Certainly it's not his best movie, but just there's nothing to comment on here. It's weird. I don't. I can't recall the last time I watched a movie that was just so plain that I just got like, you know, I was just trying to get something from, but it just giving me nothing. So. Well, we don't have to fill the time. There's no reason keeping us here. We do not have to. It's not like we have an hour on AMC to fill. We can just drop us at 30 minutes and just be like, whoop, done. Great. So two weeks from now, Dragnet, next week on Cruise Club, Days of Thunder. Last week, born on the 4th of July. So good stuff happening over at Cruise Club. We know... The golden mile stretch of this is coming. But in the interim, keep listening here. But more importantly, go check out Cruise Club. So for all things Cage Club Podcast Number, for all things Hanks to the Memories, you go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon and Threadless pages. Also check out our 1,000th episode, which we just released on this feed. So go check that out. It's almost three hours long me talking to almost every host on the network about their shows, about their memories. One question I actually didn't ask you on there because I forgot while we were talking. Do you have a favorite episode that we've recorded? Oh, you know, I was listening to the episode and when you asked Joe too and mentioned you forgot to ask me, I tried to think of one. So way back in Cage Club Prime, I still think about when we recorded that original Wicker Man episode. With Holly? With Holly Gore. Mm -hmm. Like, 
that was just I don't know. There's something like kismet. Like there was something magic about that episode. Like it just flowed so easily, and I had so much fun doing that one. And that always sticks out in my mind uh, anytime I was trying to think. So I'm gonna go with that for now. I might say that mine, because I don't think I gave mine. There's so many that I really, really liked. One of my favorite ones that I did with you, though, is the flying episode with Jordan, just because the joy of that was so infectious. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll get to revisit it again at High School Slumber Party one day. Oh, boy, I hope so. Brian's waiting. I hope so. But anyway, go to cageclub.me, poke around 25 shows, over 1,000 episodes now. Lots to listen to. Come back next week on Cruise Club, different feed for Days of Thunder, and come back two weeks for Hanks for the Memories with Dragnet. But I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you in two weeks for Dragnet right here on Hanks for the Memories. That certain night The night we met There was magic abroad in the air There were angels dining at the Ritz And a nightingale sang in Barclay Square. Don't say that unless you mean it!